can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to move around a little bit, but that's really where we're going to camp this morning. Well, before my family moved to Round Rock, we were living in Seguin, Texas, which is right outside of San Antonio. And uh, if you live down that way, one of the things you do as a young family is you go to a place in New Braunfels called Landa Park. Landa Park is like Disneyland for young families in New Braunfels. It has everything you could imagine that you would want to do. It has multiple playgrounds. You could feed the ducks. You could go swimming. Uh, there's, of course, the train that you can ride. Uh, that's the fan favorite. There's all sorts of things you can do, but but tucked at the back of this park is something that a lot of people don't really even know is there. At the back of this park, you have the springs of the Comal River. Now, uh, if you're not completely familiar with what's going on here, in, in New Braunfels, um, in the summertime, people will travel from all over the state to go float the river. They'll go to New Braunfels to float the river. And, and sometimes they'll float the Guadalupe River, uh, but you also have the Comal River, and that's the one with the tube chute that everybody likes. Uh, that's the Comal River. So people flock to New, New Braunfels over the summer. There's also something else that's important about the Comal River. Uh, there's, a, there's something in New Braunfels. It's the hottest, coolest time in Texas. Uh, the best water park in the world. Now, I haven't visited every water park in the world. Uh, so I can't say that for certain, but, but we used to go there all the time. Well, the old part of Schlitterbahn, their, their older park, is fueled by the waters of the Comal River. So every ride, all the pools, everything has river water in it. And so in the summertime, you can travel to New Braunfels, and you can float the river. Uh, you can enjoy Schlitterbahn and have the hottest, coolest time in Texas. You can do all of those things, but none of it is possible without the springs of the Comal River. See, the headwaters make the adventure possible. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been uh, studying the Holy Spirit, and today what I want to talk to you about is something known as the indwelling spirit, the indwelling spirit. And I want to say that this is the most relevant thing that you could understand about the spirit and we've talked about many things. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or an idea, but God himself. The Holy Spirit is the source of the Bible, and he helps us in our weakness by giving us hope. He helps us by praying for us. He gives us life. He refreshes. He cleanses. He searches the deep things of God. He teaches us. He matures believers. And all those things that we have studied are true and they are important, and we need them, but none of them are possible or make any kind of sense without the indwelling Spirit. Everything that's true about the Holy Spirit's work in us flows from the doctrine of the indwelling Spirit. As a matter of fact, the indwelling Spirit is so important that it distinguishes whether or not you belong to Jesus. And I, I'm not making that up. That, that's in Romans chapter 8. Kai, Kai read that a second ago. Romans 8, verses 8 through 9 says this. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The indwelling spirit matters. It's everything. The one who does not have the spirit does not belong to Jesus. And also, everything that's true about the Christian life flows from the indwelling spirit. Now, I told you we're going to be in John 14, and we are. Uh, before you get to John 14, what's happening is Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's going away. And he comforts them by telling them, I, I'm going to send you another helper. And what he tells them about this coming helper is going to change human history. So, so Jesus is, is telling his disciples, I'm going away and, and you can't come with me yet. And that was devastating for his disciples because for three years they had been with him. They had left everything. They recognized that he was king and messiah and, and they wanted to follow after him. But he was also their friend for three years. They left everything behind to follow him. And Jesus says, I'm going away, and you can't come. And so the disciples are upset, and that's where John 14 begins. He says there in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus tells them. I'm going I'm to go, and, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. And you know the, the way to where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up. He, he says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? And that's when Jesus famously says, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So the disciples, their heads are spinning. They don't quite understand. They're beginning to grieve because their, their friend is, is leaving, and they're confused. And that takes us up to the point of the verses that I want to look at this morning. John chapter 14. Look with me in verses 15 through 17. Here's what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to point out a couple of things in those verses for you to take note of. The first one, Jesus says, if you love me. Now, the assumption is that they do. You could almost read that if as, as a since, like since you love me, though that doesn't give enough force to what he's trying to say. He, he's saying, if you're a person who would say that you love me, then you will demonstrate that love by keeping my commandments. Jesus says it from a different angle in Luke's gospel. He says, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus has given many commandments. He has said things like, love God, love your neighbor. He said, believe my words. Uh, in chapter 13, he says, serve one another, become like a servant to one another. 
He's given many commandments to his disciples, and he says, if you love me, you'll prove it by doing those things. Well, there's another thing that will happen for the one who loves Jesus. If you love Jesus, you'll keep his commands. And then he says, if you love me, I'll go and I'll ask the Father, and he'll send you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Another helper who is the spirit of truth. Let's break that down just really quickly. Spirit of truth, this this helper that is to come is the spirit of truth. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies about who Jesus is, that he is the truth. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth. Now, the Spirit will testify that Jesus is, in fact, the truth. And the Father will send this Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Now, that word, that Greek word for helper, is really hard. Because not one English word directly corresponds to it. So much so that a lot of Bible scholars just give up on the English and they use the Greek. Uh, The Greek word is paraclete. You may have heard this word before. There's a lot of different English words that they'll use to kind of translate that. As a matter of fact, like in the Gospel of John, a lot of them are used to translate the same word to try to help you understand what's being said in that passage. So sometimes the word counselor is used to translate paraclete paraclete, but, but not, not camp counselor or marriage counselor, but like a, an attorney at law, one who, who gives you advice when you're in a pinch. Another word that they'll use to translate this word paraclete is the word comforter, but not like a warm, cozy blanket that you put on and it tells you everything's going to be all right, but rather one who strengthens and empowers. That's what it means to comfort, to strengthen and to empower Sometimes we get this word advocate, one who stands in your defense and speaks on your behalf. Here in John 14, the word that's used is the word helper. But, but helper kind of sounds like a, like a subordinate, you know? Like, let me give you a tip. If you're ever, like, VBS, you're, you're working with kids, and, and you've got this little group of kids, and you've got that one kid, we won't use the word bad. We'll just use the word challenging right? You got that one kid that's challenging? Here's what you do. You make that kid your helper. That's what you do. And you give them little jobs, and those jobs don't matter if they do them uh, well or not. You just tell them good job, and, and all of a sudden, that kid is on your side, and he's no longer challenging, right? Well, well, that's not what this word means, helper, that someone's subordinate. I'm the boss. I give them something to do. It's a little task. It really doesn't even matter if they do it or not. But I'm the, I'm the one who's in charge. That's not what this word means. To, to, that the word helper means to come alongside and to bring about the best outcome of a situation or the best outcome of a person. So for the Holy Spirit to be a helper, he's not subordinate. He's coming alongside. So the Holy Spirit is the one who, who comes alongside and he gives strength and he gives courage, and he speaks on your behalf. He's like a counselor, like a helper, like a comforter, like an advocate. It's like all those things put together when we use this word paraclete. And Jesus says, I'm going away, but I don't want you to be discouraged because I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. 
Well, there's one more word in the text I want to call your attention to in verse 16. He says that he's the spirit of truth. He says that he's the helper. But then he says he's another helper. Another helper. So there's two. Who's the first one? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus has been their paraclete, their helper and comforter and advocate for the last three years. He has come alongside them. He has given them courage. He has strengthened them. He has advocated for them. He has given them advice, but now he's leaving. He's going away, so he's sending another paraclete, one who's going to do exactly what Jesus has been doing for the last three years. Listen, that's the role of the Holy Spirit is to do for the believer what Jesus did for his disciples while he was on the earth. That's really good news for us. But that's not even the best part. We haven't even got to the best part yet. You see, this isn't just a replacement. It's not like one for one, like Jesus goes away and here comes the Holy Spirit to replace him in the exact same role. It's not that. It's actually something even better. Jesus says in verse 17, he says, you know him. For he dwells with you. You know this Holy Spirit, he tells his disciples. This is not new. It's not new because they they knew their Bible, for one. We We have a biblical precedent here that God has consistently been with his people. For example, God was with Abraham, and the Philistine king Abimelech noticed and wanted to make a covenant with Abraham because he knew that God was with him. Or you get to the end of the book of Genesis and you have a guy named Joseph and bad things keep happening to Joseph. Bad things keep happening. But he ends up on top, why? The text tells us in Genesis, because God was with him. God was with Moses, God was with Joshua, his successor, and in the book of Joshua, God tells Joshua, look, as I was with Moses, I will be with you, Joshua, so you have no reason to be afraid. We see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is with his people, and he comes upon his people to accomplish a task, and then he goes away. So he helps them, empowers them to accomplish a task, and then the Holy Spirit leaves. For example, there's a man named Bezalel who's responsible for building the tabernacle. Exodus 31 says that the Holy Spirit fills him in order to accomplish that task. We see this true in the book of Judges. You can read about the Judges, Judges 3, Judges 6, these leaders of the people of Israel. They're filled, the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can lead and accomplish a particular task for the people of Israel. This is true of the kings of Israel, like like King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Saul was anointed to be king, and then the Spirit, it says, rushes upon him so that he's equipped for the task of leading the people of Israel. The same is true of King David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He's anointed king, and the Holy Spirit rushes upon him so that he can lead the people of Israel. You know, King Saul, he he had the Holy Spirit upon him, and then he sinned against God. He was disobedient, and and the text tells us that that God took away his Holy Spirit from Saul, and he gave his Holy Spirit to David to lead his people. Well, then David sins against God. He sins with Bathsheba. 
And that's why David prays in Psalm 51. He says, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's, he's referring back to what God did with Saul. He's saying, what happened to Saul? I don't want that to happen to me. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me because I sinned. The Spirit was with Saul. The Spirit was with David. The Spirit was with King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18. It, that, that God was with Hezekiah, and, it, and, it, and he gave him military success wherever he went. God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, the promise that the virgin shall give birth. We'll call his name Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God with us. That points to Jesus Christ. Matthew confirms in his gospel, yep, Jesus, that's him. Emmanuel, Jesus is God with us. And Jesus was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism, and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus healed people and, and did all of these miracles, and he did it by the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus operated. So when Jesus tells the disciples, he's telling them, look, you've read your Bible, and you know that God has been with his people all along. As a matter of fact, you've seen that in my own life, Jesus says. You, you've been near the Spirit for, for three years. You know what this is like, God with us. God with us is an amazing thing. God was with Abraham, God was with Joseph, with Moses, with David, with Saul, with Hezekiah, and he also will be with you. Jesus tells his disciples that is true for us too, and that, that statement, God with us, is super comforting and that could be a whole sermon series in and of itself, God with us. But listen, we're still not even to the good part, the best part. The last clause of verse 17 is it. And it changes all of human history. Jesus says, you know him, he dwells with you. And then the last part, he says, and will be in you. That's new. That's that's not something that has been true up until this point. This is a change. He, what Jesus is promising his disciples is this. He says, up until now, the Holy Spirit has been with you, with his people. All throughout history, he's been with his people. But there's coming a day when he will be in you. Well, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I'm, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, he says. And then in Acts chapter two, he does. Jesus asks the Father, the Father sends the Spirit, and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point forward, the indwelling Spirit is the mark of the people of God. Those who place their faith in Jesus have the indwelling Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning in this room, you have God's indwelling spirit. So what are the implications of this? Multiple. As a matter of fact, our whole sermon series that we began in like September or something, all of it flows out of this. It rests upon this truth. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. So everything that we've said about the Holy Spirit Everything that's true about the Holy Spirit's 
power in the lives of believers flows from the headwaters of the indwelling spirit. All of it. So, for example, the reason that you can find comfort from the Holy Spirit is because, believer, he dwells in you. And the reason that the Spirit can help you in your weakness is because, believer, he dwells in you. The reason he can teach you and guide you and lead you is because, believer, he dwells in you. The reason that you begin to bear fruit in your life, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, you, you exhibit these things in your life and increasingly so over time is because, believer, the Spirit dwells in you. The reason that the Spirit can convict you of your sin, not just sin in general, but your sin, is because, believer, the Spirit dwells in you. It's, it's the indwelling Spirit that like activates these truths in your life. And so because of this, there are five things that I want you to be this morning. Five Bs. One, be holy. Everything that's true about the Holy Spirit's work in us flows from the headwaters of the indwelling spirit. And there's a place in the New Testament that this is absolutely explicit. You can see it plain as day. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So Paul makes this command, flee sexual immorality. And as an apostle, he can just say that and move on and give no grounds for that command. But I want you to see where he grounds this command. Look, look in verse 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your holiness, especially your sexual morality, is required by the Spirit. Why? Because as a believer in Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple is a place where God lives. A place where God meets with man, but a place where God lives. So if your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit is going to live there, make his home there, he expects you to keep it clean. Be holy. The indwelling Spirit means you should be holy. Here's the second thing you should be. You should be confident. You should be confident. Paul explains in Romans 8 that we reference that if you have the spirit of Christ, then you belong to Christ. That should give you confidence as you walk out this Christian life. If your life reflects the activity of the Holy Spirit, then that gives all the evidence you need that you indeed belong to Jesus. Let me give you some examples. Do you grieve over your sin? That's the work of the spirit in your life. Do you increasingly exhibit or desire to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Well, that's 
the Spirit's work in your life? Do you love God's word? Do you want to understand God's word better? That's evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and want to give him your allegiance? That's the Spirit's work in your life. You didn't come up with that on your own. That's the Holy Spirit in your life. Is your faith in Jesus to save you? That's the evidence of the Spirit's work in you. These are only examples, but if you think about your life and you start to observe these things in your life, you can know that the Spirit is indeed dwelling in you. And if he's dwelling in you, that means that you belong to Jesus. That means that you are a part of the people of God. So understanding this indwelling spirit gives us confidence. Actually, I should say it can give us confidence. It can. Do you have the spirit of Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? How do you know? What evidence do you have? Does your life reflect that your faith is in Jesus? Do you see the spirit at work in your life? You should be confident because of the indwelling spirit. Here's the third thing you ought to be. You ought to be encouraged. You should be encouraged. If the spirit dwells in you, he will not leave. It it says here that he will be with you, in verse 16, forever. Forever. The prayer of David in Psalm 51 You don't have to pray. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If the Spirit has made his home in you, you don't need to pray that. He will never leave you. That means you'll never be alone, and it means you'll never be without a comforter. You'll never be without someone to give you strength when you need it. You'll never be without an advocate. You'll never be without a counselor. You'll never be without a helper. You'll never be alone, so you should be encouraged. Here's the fourth thing you ought to be because of the indwelling spirit. You should be loved. You should be loved. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know it, though? Maybe somebody in the room needed to hear that this morning, that God really does love you. He really does. And he loves you when you're killing it. And you're doing a great job. And you're reading your Bible. You're at church Sunday morning. Look at you. You're doing a great job. God loves you when you're killing it. God loves you when everything's going well. He really does. But listen, God also loves you when you're anxious. And things aren't going well. God loves you when you're depressed. He really does. God loves you when you let your anger take over. You give full vent. He loves you then. He loves you when you're afraid. He loves you when you're defeated. He loves you when you're lost. And there's a great song 
He loves you until you're found. Do you know that Jesus loves you? You might know it on paper. You sang the song when you were a kid, Jesus loves me, this I know because this book right here, the Bible tells me so, like I can read it. Yes, I know, Jesus died for me, he loves me. You know it on paper, but do you know it by experience? Do you know the love of God? Do you know it? Have you experienced what it's like to be loved unconditionally, not based on your performance? He really does love you. Do you know what that's like? Do you have that experience? I, I can't give it to you, so all I can do is pray for you. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul does the same thing. He prays this prayer. Listen to this. He prays over the Ephesians. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, listen to this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they would have the strength to know the ins and outs, backwards and forwards, experience the love of God, the unconditional, mighty love of God. That's my prayer for you. But we know the indwelling spirit, so we should be loved. And here's the fifth thing you ought to be. You ought to be thankful. God saw fit that you, you sitting in this room right now, you would live after the resurrection of Jesus. And he saw fit that you would live after Jesus sent the Spirit. That means that you have an advantage over Moses. And you have an advantage over King David. You have an advantage over the disciples who walked with Jesus until he sent the Spirit. You have an advantage and you have an opportunity. And so we, we should be thankful. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 about this Roman centurion. Like a, a, a Roman commander. And Jesus is doing this healing stuff, and he comes to Jesus and he says, I have this servant that that I'd like you to heal. And Jesus says, well, let's go. Which way to your house? And he says, nah, just say the word. I know how this goes. You just say the word, and it happens. And then he says, I'm unworthy for you to enter my house. He was right. Jesus marveled at this man's faith and he healed this servant without even going to his house. Jesus didn't even bother to go. He just said the word. But the spirit of Jesus has decided to make his home in you. Oh, you're unworthy still. 
just like that Roman centurion. You're, you're unworthy. And the Spirit, he, he's not coming to your home. He's making his home in you. And we should be thankful because that affords for us all the privileges of the indwelling spirit. Everything that's true about the Holy Spirit work, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives flows from the headwaters of this indwelling spirit. The spirit of God, for those of us who are believers, the spirit of God has made his home in us. So be holy, be confident, be encouraged, be loved. 